Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston. We're recording this episode on a Friday afternoon ahead of Manchester United's game against Tottenham Hotspur on Sunday afternoon at Old Trafford. Um, and it's in this episode, we'll look at Jaden Sancho's transfer to Borussia Dortmund and discuss who could be in Eric Tenog's best start in 11. And we'll have a bit of Spurs chat as well. I know we already did that earlier in the week um, but we'll go into that in a bit more detail and I'm joined of course by Samuel Luckhurst and Samuel we're recording remotely but if we weren't I was going to make some Kias Starmer related joke because of course he was in the MEN offices yesterday but unfortunately you've not got that humour today I've not got that what sorry you've not got that joke you've not got that humour to to contend with right I see was there a joke there at all I, I, I didn't I didn't well that's, that's what I said I was going to knock up something if we were in the office I was going to make some sort of comparison I, I think this, this um, is going to have to get uh, kiboshed this uh, this intro to the podcast nah we'll leave it in we'll leave it in how are you anyways yeah every, everything's well thank you very much all good press conference alright it was a longer than usual press conference possibly because uh, Tanag was was so late getting to it he was almost 20 minutes late by the time he took his seat as he was in a meeting um, beforehand, uh, so that 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 was the advantage of it. The embargo was pushed back, so it wasn't uh, too frantic at all. And uh, he spoke quite expansively on some 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 reasonably interesting issues. Anthony and and well, I suppose more immediately uh, pressingly, it's that six players could be back from from injury for the Tottenham game on on Sunday, which is uh, is is a particularly big boost. I know it's always a cliche when you use a, a you know team news or a fitness boost, but if you've got Luke Shaw back in your squad, Ericsson, Martinez, Casemiro, etc., that's that's not a bad thing whatsoever. Yeah, we'll get uh, into that a bit more in the second part. I think the team news because obviously fantastic news. Seen a few more players come back to fitness, but we'll just start off with Jaden Sancho. Then Samuel uh, Tenag was asked about that in his press conference. Um, he's officially joined Borussia Dortmund until the end of the season. Three point five million euros um, until June, of course. 
and there's no option to buy in the deal as well. Uh, it was an interesting day uh, seeing the photos come out of Sancho kissing the badger and whatnot and calling Borussia Dortmund home. Um, what was your what was your thoughts on that? Well, I I wasn't really surprised by it because this is someone who thrives in an environment where there's zero pressure. And it, it was interesting. I looked up the date of it earlier. Uh, two years ago when we were still doing press conferences on on Zoom and it was the Ralph Rangnick um, interim tenure, we we got stuck into Sancho and why it wasn't happening for him at United because his, his form had been underwhelming, to put it politely, in the first four or five months at the club. And I remember Rangnick, when he was talking about it, he was very erudite in his analysis. He, he pointed to his temple um, as if to say that he hadn't made that mental adjustment or adaptation from the Bundesliga to the Premier League. And that was essentially the gist of what he was he was saying. But I remember writing at the time as well. And I think the next day they played against Aston Villa and, and Sancho was, he, he came on and he, he was really, really poor, really, really bad. And I remember writing at the time that he'd come from Borussia Dortmund where they're, they're also runs in, in the Bundesliga they never get beyond the last 16 of the Champions League. Finishing in the top four in Germany is not really that difficult with all due respect to the Bundesliga. And I know Dortmund are fifth at the moment in the Bundesliga table. And maybe as good as it's going to get is winning the German Cup. And OK, you're playing for a big club in front of 80,000 fans every fortnight. But then you go to Manchester United and you're in a pressure cooker environment and it's it's the most intense pressure of, of any sporting institution on the planet. And it was too hot for him. And that's why one of the reasons why why he's been a failure at United and will go down as a failure, because I don't see any reconciliation come from this, even if there's a, a change in manager. Uh, I think he's he's made it abundantly clear that if he had it his way, he would probably go back to Dortmund permanently. I think that's quite galling for him. As I said, um, the, the average age of those who live in Dortmund and that area of Germany is, is quite old. It's not a place where young people go to settle. I mean, someone might say, well, Marco Royce has been there for uh, for 11 years or coming up to 12 years, but, but Marco Royce was a boyhood Dortmund fan and, and he is German. Um, it's It's become, it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant club and it's also a club that's become a halfway house to bigger and better things for footballers who have the right mentality and you've seen that with Erling Haaland and Jude Bellingham of course United were in for those players and the one player they have signed from Dortmund has not got the right mentality to be a world-class player or one of the best players in the world um, I, I don't think Sancho's a, a, a bad lad necessarily I think what he did in September was bad when you publicly accuse the Manchester United manager of lying that uh, they they did the right thing he had to be banished he had to be exiled and um, he was out through the first team uh, door faster than his head could had spin, really. And he was obviously having to go over to the academy building. But it's it's in United's best interest, in Dortmund's interest, in Sancho's interest, that he does well for Dortmund because then he'll be easier to, to sell in the summer. Uh, I just think the, the whole... If you're a Man United player and you publicly accuse the manager of lying, uh, you've you've got to go permanently. And of course, it, there were reasons why they, they couldn't get rid of him uh, in in September because the transfer window had closed and it was only open for Saudi Pro League clubs. And although United were open to getting rid of him, then I don't think it was ever in the offing. It's not taken them too long to arrange something this month. And I remember writing back in September that 
Sancho and his representatives had identified Dortmund as as a prime place to um, as an escape route, and and he's taken that route, and you can't blame him. But I think his his career as a high level footballer may may well be over. I think there's a long way back for him in terms of gaining the recognition that we all thought he might have got at some point, uh, having moved to Manchester United and played in a Euros final with England. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he never plays for England again. And in terms of a historically great, huge club ever being in for him, I, I just can't see that ever happening. I think the difference between the, the Premier League and the Bundesliga, as we've seen with exports from the Bundesliga in recent years, is obviously massive. The the pace of the division, the time you get on the ball, and when you watch Sancho, I think that hugely suits his his qualities, playing for Dortmund and, and having that a bit more time. He's just not that fast, is he? He doesn't seem that athletic, actually. He doesn't really have a burst of pace. He likes to link up around the box and kind of play that intricate football, and that's not really happened uh, at United at times. And also, I guess, which is his best position? Uh, he came to play on the right wing, um, obviously we've on the left he played as a number 10 so that obviously exacerbated the problem as well he seemed a bit lost at times and I think there was an identity crisis uh, in that regard so I mentioned the the kissing of the badge Samuel I thought it was quite interesting and obviously calling Dortmund home again kind of uh, and stuff like that his mentality that's always been a bit of an issue a bit of a sticking point later training regularly at Dortmund they kind of ignored it because he was performing well happened again at Carrington um, obviously fell out at Ten Hag does he have the mentality to play for a big club? I don't think so. And that's kind of been his undoing, hasn't it? It has. And another own goal he scored along with that post about um, Ten Hag and the reasons for being left out against Arsenal was um, his his PR. Uh, the woman he's chosen to handle his PR has, has got, there's no point naming her, but I think everyone knows who she is. She's got an axe to grind with Ten Hag. And also, it's, it's a poor choice when she's overseeing Ronaldo's PR. Now, ever since Ten Hag saw off Ronaldo, anyone else at United has been small fry, whether it's Marcus Rashford being dropped for the, the New Year's Eve game against Wolves last season, whether it's been releasing David De Gea, which I didn't think was a particularly ruthless decision. I think he just naturally come to the end of his time at United and it was the right decision to to let him go. And Sancho didn't have a leg to stand on because, let's face it, if we're talking about brilliant performances by Jane Sancho in a United shirt, it's it's very, you have to really, really rack your brains to, well, to there was, think There was them. a spell with uh, Ralph Ranjik in charge where he kind of had a little burst. It was he a did. few games, wasn't it? When he was, he was slightly promising, but he's never sustained it, which is the problem. Yeah, and going back to that Villa game I mentioned earlier when we asked Ranjik about Sancho in the pre-match Zoom call, he didn't start that game. He was dreadful when he came on. The next week, I think they played Brentford in the midweek and West Ham at home at the weekend. He missed both those games due to a family bereavement. And then there was that really strange end of January where there was an international break because there were games going on in, in South America, not games going on in Europe. So it was a barren period, um, but Sancho was able to take take stock, take time out, uh, go away for a few weeks and when he came back into the team I think the first game back was against Middlesbrough in the FA Cup he was excellent and he, he did go on a really good run of form he was he, he must have got their player of the month award for February because he, he he was playing pretty well he scored a good goal against City the next month as well so that spell of form was pretty good and this whole um, this attempt by uh, the, some people around Sancho to, to rewrite history with Ten Hag is laughable because when we you only have to go back to last season to when Sancho came back 
into the United team uh, after having three months out due to um, due to physical and mental issues. Uh, he, he came on against Forest. He's stood there with Ten Hag stood next to him, both of them smiling, uh, grinning broadly. And in that February, Sancho had a good month, scored the equaliser against Leeds. Everyone was delighted for him. Came on with United 1-0 up against Leicester at home. They played really, they were fortunate to be 1-0 up at half-time. They were quite poor at home um, in, in that home game. Sancho came on, they won 3-0. He scored, he was brilliant. He started uh, against Barcelona, I think, in, um, it, it might have been both legs, but certainly in, in the Camp Nou, I think he started that game. And of course, he ended the month with a with a winner's medal. So this whole uh, this this myth that Ten Hag has mismanaged him, I just don't buy because his first month back, everyone was saying what great man management from Ten Hag and how he's 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 it's a masterclass in how to handle a young player. And I was speaking to people at the club in uh, November December time when Sancho was um, away and not in the training camp at Cadiz, and they said that Ten Hag said to him, "Look, what do you want from me? What do you need from me? What can I do to help you?" And he recommended him coaches in the Netherlands, and obviously he trained in the De- Netherlands for um, a, a while before he, he came back into the first team squad in in late January, early February. Nobody was complaining about Ten Hag's handling of Sancho. Sancho wasn't complaining about it. Sancho's Twitter profile picture, I don't know if it still is, but as as recently as yesterday, it was a picture of him and Ten Hag uh, from, from that night against Forrest when he came back into the team and he got a really warm ovation. When you, you know, we go back to the whole, like, the reason why he was out of the Arsenal squad in September and Ten Hag put it down to training form. He's got form for that. I, I did that story during the Euros that he wasn't getting picked or, or not getting as many minutes for England because of his training form. When he was at Manchester City, he stopped turning up for training. He said on the record in an interview before that he's got to improve his timekeeping. And there are some uh, myopic people around him who are trying to rewrite history and frame the narrative as sympathetic towards Jane Sancho. Nobody's having it. Nobody. If a, pl- if a Manchester United player accuses the Manchester United manager of lying, he's, he's got to have a lot of credit in the bank to get away with it. Sancho had no credit in the bank and that's why he's in the position he is in, and he's, he's he's and why he's back at Dortmund. When you cast your mind back to that game against Nottingham Forest when he returned at the start of February, it's such a shame to see what's happened in the subsequent months. I mean, you just mentioned there the ovation that he got all around Old Trafford. The fans were fully behind him, really supportive. At the end of the game, he stayed behind and he clapped each corner and he went off uh, the pitch last. And you, you could probably spot his smile from the Stratford end as he came on that day. And then to see it, what, six months later, I have that dispute with Ten Hag, because his handling, he was... It's rare that you see a player have a three-month absence and signed off like that. Obviously, uh, Sancho probably wasn't in the best place physically and mentally, but I thought the situation was very well handled. Um, and he's, he's almost thrown it back in the club's face, I think, Samuel, um, which is disappointing. Um, final word then on, on his time at United? Yeah, I think maybe the only thing that you could have some sh- some sympathy with him over was at the start of the season, Um Obviously, in pre-season, he, he played mainly as a false nine because the, Rasmus Hoyland didn't sign until late July and then he was not available to play for a month. Uh, Anthony Marshall, of course, was injured, so not available to play. So they're having to get by in pre-season with Marcus Rashford or, or Jane Sancho, neither of whom are strikers. Rashford started the first two games of the season up front. wasn't any good there in, in either of them, so he moved to the wing in the next game. And then as soon as Marshall is deemed match fit, 
he goes without having had a kick really um, in pre-season. I think he might have come on the second game of the season against Tottenham. But it's Marshall who's chosen by Ten Hag to go into the team. Now, if you're Sancho and you've done you've done okay in pre-season, then um, you're, you're bound to feel affronted by that. And like, if I was in his position and I'm seeing Anthony Marshall start ahead of me when he's been in the treatment room for the best part of three months, I'd, I'd probably feel affronted by it as well. But you've also got to understand why... Even, fa- even fast forward to September, Samuel, I, I completely agree with that. But then when Anthony's starting, he'll be annoyed at that as well. If yeah, Anthony he again, would be. Yeah. Selected each week and his performances are poor. Right, okay. Finally, Anthony was out of the picture. It was domestic issues. It was a chance for Sancho just to swallow his pride, apologise and nail down that spot. And that he didn't was such do an it. opportunity. Yeah. He just, he didn't take it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, Ten Hag last month, he was asked about Sancho and he gave these stock, it was his stock phrase on Sancho, like he knows what to do. And some rather naively attributed that as, oh, he's got a way back into the squad, which was absolutely nonsense. Um, and as speaking to someone at the club, um, we we agreed that you know, if, if Sancho did actually apologise now, it would make no difference because it would have to be the most contrite apology recorded on film since Tiger Woods, probably that time uh, when his uh, indiscretions came to light and uh, it was very stage managed and almost like a, a daytime soap opera in the States when he, he made that statement and his mother came over and uh, there was, you know, Nike were rallying around him. So it, it would have had to have been almost you know almost a form of acting for him to get back into the fold and I always go back to that podcast you and Ty did shortly after it happened when uh, Ten Hag uh, Ty quoted this quote from Ten Hag that I I I forgive but I do not forget and I think that still applies here with Sanjo what also made me laugh was the way Dortmund actually announced the deal with a Michael Jordan comparison. For anyone who knows anything about Michael Jordan will know he was relentless in training, such a hard worker, and um, pushing his teammates on. And I'm not sure how you could apply that description to Sancho. Um, just to end this part, Samuel, did you actually get told about the clause that Dortmund inserted into his contract secretly? No, I'm, 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 this is... Well, there was a, there was a, there was a clause that stipulated he needed to bring an alarm clock with him to Germany. They made uh... sure to put that in. Um, yeah, I see you could see, have got that. That's, that's not too, that's not too <laughs> bad. That's pretty good for you, I think. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't laugh that much. That'll be it for part one. We've got a moment for part two. No one covers Manchester United quite like the Manchester Evening News. And through our MUFC Pro app, you can support our journalism and become part of our United community getting the best experience ad-free, pop-up-free and distraction-free as well. Giving you the best news and interviews, great features and much more. Now is the perfect time to subscribe as we've just launched a special New Year offer which includes MEM Premium for just £12 for 12 months. Download the app and get started today. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, as Samuel mentioned in the intro, finally going to have some players returning from the sidelines. There's been a ton of injuries this season, an unprecedented injury crisis, really. Um, and Ten Hag suggested at his press conference that Luke Shaw, uh, Lissandra Martinez, Casemiro, Christian Eriksen, Anthony and Ahmad were actually all in contention 
to make the match this squad on Sunday against Tottenham. Now, Samuel, as we said in the first part, very, very good news. I know it can be a cliche saying it's a boost, but yeah. those players coming back certainly is. Um, let's talk about Martinez and Casemiro more specifically because they've been longer term absentees. Martinez has obviously had a metatarsal problem, which has been tricky, and Casemiro with a hamstring problem. Um, but those two players on the best days are huge for this team and it can only be good if they can return at those levels. It, it is, of course, and I, I still would say that and, and Ten Hag stressed to yeah, he, he added a bit of caution that it takes some players time to get up, you know, build up match fitness. And I would still be surprised if if Martinez and or Casemiro start this weekend. It, it doesn't that that doesn't feel like in terms of reading the room, that's that's not the gist I got from that. I think with Luke Shaw and Christian Eriksen, they they should go into the starting side and uh, I don't see any issues with that. I mean, Shaw, okay, he's missed the last few games and he's he's probably been out longer than than people think. I don't think he's played since the West Ham game on that would have been twenty third of December. So yeah, it's what correct. three three weeks, isn't it? So that's just a it's a reasonable while uh, to to miss a player of of his quality. But I suppose where the games have been spread out a little bit, that has played into United's hands and it's limited uh, in terms of it's limited the number of games he's actually missed. Ericsson only missed the one game against Wigan and that was that was due to illness. But, but Mart says has, has been a big loss. Uh, his, his form last season, his, uh, his impact last season, he, he was a, he's, he's easily the best signing that United have made during Ten Hag's time. I thought Casemiro was... It's what he offers for the builder play, isn't it? Like his passing so crucial to the way Ten Hag wants yeah, to play. Yeah, and I, um, I, I always go... Uh, like when you... You saying that there, I always think of Leeds away last season when Barces was uh, was rested and uh, on the bench in that game and Maguire came in and Maguire was, his, his stock was really low. It was on the floor. He, he didn't look comfortable. And he, he started at centre-back with, with Luke Shaw. And I think it was maybe in the 70-minute mark, Martinez came on. Um, I don't know who he'd have come on, who he'd have replaced, who was at left-back that day. It might have been Malassia. But it was Shaw at left back. It was Martinez at centre back. He made a huge, huge difference in terms of the passing angles, the way he can break the lines, and also the the winning goal, the first goal in that two 0 win. It came from a Luke Shaw cross uh, for, for Marcus Rashford to head in. So it was a particularly um, positive and impactful substitution. And and I think I probably summarise Martinez last season by saying he was as much, almost as much of an asset in attack as he is in in defence because he's passing. Is is so good, and it was it was quite fascinating when he signed for United that Ajax released the the scouts and reports of him dating back, I think to 2019. It might have been even, um, and and his passing was you know they was highlighted, and it was it was clear that, that their scouts um, certainly uh, are more fastidious in terms of scrutinising a player than some of the Manchester United scouts in in, in recent years, and he's look, he's been a success successful signing but where he's not played he's barely played this season uh, I think if you were going off that traffic light system it, it would be premature to put him in the in the green band but he's a, he's a cold figure There's they've, they've undeniably missed him him and Luke Shaw have been big misses for United this season I think if they, they'd been fit for the majority then United might not be a minus goal difference for um, in the Premier League table they'd probably be a bit higher up as well 
And the Casemiro of last season has been a huge miss, but the Casemiro that was saw in the first few months of this campaign probably hasn't been Samuel. I mean, he was really disappointing. He looked off the pace. He's usually one step ahead of play, but he seemed one step behind in each game. I actually think of the Bayern Munich game at the Allianz Arena. I think he had a shocking game. Ironically, he scored two Good goals, two goals. Least, which <laughs> was a bizarre twist. So he didn't really get that much criticism for his performance because of that. Uh, goals kind of decide the narrative, don't they, naturally? Um, but he could return... Uh, to those levels again who he could be the player that looks destined to go to Saudi Arabia that's the kind of way I feel about it it's it, I mean that's that's probably the right it, there's probably not a middle ground there even it, I think it, it probably will go one of two ways this will either be um, you know the, the start the beginning of the end for him at United it might have started already in fact or he's he's going to show his worth and return to that level of last season I, I, I thought he was United's best player last season I think without him there's there's no way they finish in the top four I thought he was that influential he he scored big goals he had big games uh, his his performance level was excellent I, I always going back to his first start in the Premier League against Everton I was really impressed not just by the way he conducts himself but he got robbed of the ball for Everton's goal in that game when they went 1-0 up and then he did exactly the same thing to Iwobi. I think it was Iwobi who robbed him of the ball. He robbed the ball off Iwobi and he played a brilliant pass to Ronaldo for, for the winning goal. And I think probably more United players went to Casemiro than Ronaldo after they, they went 2-1 up there. Uh, he's, he's held in, obviously, extremely high esteem by his teammates. And um, you know he's, he's been out for a fair old while. I think it was November the 1st, that Newcastle game when they got... Got, got when they were humbled 3-0 at Old Trafford he's not played since then so that's two and a half months That that's a long time out for someone who as, as we saw with the odd pre-season picture when, when he doesn't play football for a while uh, he, he tends to come back looking uh, slight, slightly portly I think it would be um, it would be uh, fair to say and he, he has he's, I think Ty said he, he had a, a few too many barbecues in Brazil uh, yeah he uh, he's I think he's you know he, he's acknowledged that you know he does he does like his food but um, it, it didn't matter last season as I said he, he more often than not he played very well and he came up with some big moments for United he scored the first goal in the League Cup final he scored the goal against Chelsea in May on the night that they qualified for the Champions League and there was a lot in between those goals and before the, the League Cup final that he contributed to. So uh, I think the way it's gone with him this season was how a lot of us probably feared it would go when United first paid or committed to paying um, £70 million for a 30-year-old on goodness knows how much uh, as far as his wages go. But he, he, I don't think it was a surprise the way he played last season, but the the influence and the, the, the aura about him was was probably greater than it ever was at Madrid by virtue that Real Madrid always had almost always had Cristiano Ronaldo playing with Casemiro and they had other great players like Modric or or, or Benzema or Tony Cruz uh, Sergio Ramos and Rafael Varane as well of course uh, and he's probably he's he's a he's a bigger fish at, at United but United need him to get back to that level because I I, I I want to see how he gets on with with Kobe Mainu. I think that's the midfield partnership everyone wants to see uh, Ten Hag settle on now and where they go from there because it only lasted 74 seconds against Real Madrid in pre-season with uh, that, that unfortunate injury that Mainu suffered when he was the collateral damage in, in Casemiro's challenge on Rodrigo. Well, we said that earlier in the week after the Wigan game. That's going to be fascinating to see Casemiro, Manu and Fernandes in the midfield. Um, regarding Ten Hag's strongest 
uh, lying up then Samuel I mean that probably screams out to it the main midfield that's the most logical free um, and attack Rashford Hyland uh, and Ganacho at the moment and then it'd be fantastic obviously to have Martinez back in the, the defensive line as well alongside Luke Shaw but Tenog's he's not had a chance to pick these players or to pick his strongest team so far this season so when that opportunity does come around there's going to be no more excuses and the team really have to kick on that's right and he he touched upon it again today about not it's not been very often that he's been able to pick his strongest side I don't think he's ever ever been able to pick his strongest side in fact Um, because obviously at the start of last season they didn't have all the signings in last season Marshall was the the main number nine but he was injured for for um, you know, well over half of it, I think he played twenty-eight out of the sixty-two games last season. So he wasn't. Um, he, he he was he was nowhere near as available as as United needed him to be. Uh, Ronaldo was never really viewed as a first teamer while while Ten Hag was manager. And as far as this season goes, of course, when when Hoyland was available um, for the, for the Arsenal game, by that time Luke Shaw had. He he'd had his hamstring tear and and Mason Mount got injured as well, so there was no chance of of, of United playing their strongest side there um, at that time either. I think I think Ten Hag goes back to the it's the City game this time last year. In fact, it might be you know we're probably approaching maybe one or two days off from the anniversary of it. Cause I think that might have been fourteenth of January, so it must have been this weekend last year. And I think he said that was the only time he could play his strongest team, but I'm pretty sure Diogo Dallo would have been injured for that last season um, because I think he got injured a few days before against Charlton in the in the League Cup. So even this game that Ten Hag thought he had uh, a fully fit score to choose from, he, he didn't. So I actually don't think across, what, 62 games last season, 29 games this season, so that's what, 91 games into his United tenure. I don't think he's ever had a fully fit squad and um, it's, it's amazing I think it's nine years ago but there was this uh, at the time in the in the days of, of Vine if anyone can remember that um, there was this immortal clip of, of Louis van Gaal who his, his own first few months at United were beset by you know, injury after injury after injury and uh, he was asked for team news and he said only one player injured can you believe it? Can you believe it? And he was smiling. He was. It was so. I hope. I hope my impression has come across the airwaves uh, as as good as it does in in um, in person there. But I, I I I can't be the one to judge that. I think Yvonne Galwan's your best impression. To be fair, yeah. I, I I've got I I I've, I'm I did I think it's probably my my hidden talent impressions. I don't think you've seen the the full breadth of my, uh, my my impressions but and, and and needless to say you probably won't do but m- maybe if I'm in the right mood from time to time we're, well, we're, we're talking about the right manager yeah if, if, I challenge you to do the, the Ten Hag's pause that he does in press conferences because it's actually really difficult to, to reproduce uh, he, uh, it's his job as well uh, to get ready his pause I'm not going to try it myself and embarrass myself on the airwaves but we had a laugh about it because he does it all the time it's just like a Dutch mannerism that he does before he speaks occasionally um, we'll get into Anthony a bit then Samuel to, to end this part um, Senog was asked about his poor performances and, and kind of what he needs to do to improve he kind of said uh, that his off-field issues have got something to do with it he obviously was out of the team for an extended period earlier this season and there was allegations made against him against from former partners Anthony denied those allegations um, and he's obviously returned to the side since um, so he gave quite a lengthy answer didn't he when he was asked about Anthony can you expand on that? He did, and uh, it's also important to stress that the, the police investigations in in England and Brazil are ongoing as well. Uh, I mean, one of the, the Ten Hag used a quote that 
we, we couldn't use in copy because with a when we were made aware that this investigation was ongoing in in the UK, it's just not legally safe. Uh, but he was he was very adamant that the reason why Anthony hasn't hasn't scored a goal or provided an assist this season was down to the domestic issues and and those allegations that, as you said, he denies and Ten Hag he he his his memory was was spot on. He said he started the first four games of the season, then he's out of the team. And whilst having to deal with all that, he's not been able to get back to the levels of his time at Ajax. I think Ten Hag said he had a pretty pretty good first season. I'd, I'd say Anthony was decent. I don't think he had a bad season by any stretch. I think he was he was decent. It was like a it was a six out of ten season. And certainly when he got injured against Chelsea in the penultimate Premier League game, that that was a blow because he was definitely going to start the FA Cup final, and that did have an impact on United's preparation for that game because it meant that. Um, I think Fernandez had to play on the right when Ten Hag would probably have ideally had him playing behind the striker that day. Fred came into the midfield with Casemiro, so United did have to um, you know, move move the pieces about after after Anthony got injured, and he was in reasonable form. I think he'd had a couple of couple of decent games, or he was in a you know he was, he was doing okay. And of course, it was that Forest game, which was his best performance, where he got compared to Iron Robin. He did all right again in pre-season. I think it was yeah, it was steady pre-season. Not, not a great deal to write home about, but you weren't lamenting his performance level. I think he he was he was fine, but I don't think he played well in, in the first four games of the season. He did start those games, and there was probably a bit of he was probably getting a bit of stick off supporters at the time as well over his his, his lack of efficacy and the, the, the lack of end product, and that's that's been the case for. Um, throughout the season since that leave of absence ended and United said that he was he came back into the squad because he hadn't been charged detained or arrested and nothing has changed on that front which is why he's been been able to play as regularly as he has done for United in in late November early December he had two good games against Galatasaray and Chelsea and as you said before like we we have hammered Anthony time and again on this podcast and in pieces but I was stressed with my editor I said look I, I need to do a piece on Anthony after that Chelsea game about how how well he's done because it's only fair that when a player performs at a level that deserves praise that they get praise and I thought that he was one of the one of the standout players against Chelsea and Ten Hag said after that game that that bit of time that he'd had out of the team referring to when he was actually dropped had benefited him and made him hungry and he thought okay is this going to be a corner turned is this going to be the turning point and unfortunately for Anthony it wasn't um, and look, I don't think, think that sounds quite similar to what happened with Sancho we just we've been waiting for a moment from the kick on he'd have glimpses and moments and you think right come on produce consistent performances and it just never happened and when I watch Anthony I just think it's never going to happen from unfortunately no and, and I agree with you I think he's right off at United I I, I think if there is ever a managerial change and uh, at any point this calendar year that manager would look at Anthony and probably tell the people at Ineos that that I I don't want him. He he's he doesn't fit my um my approach. Uh, it's yeah. He's he's probably the most. I know Ten Hag has taken a lot of players to United who he worked with at Ajax or he, who he was familiar with. But but Anthony in particular, his entire time in Europe has been spent under the management of Eric Ten Hag, and he's he's the reason. Like, Ten Hag is the, the the reason why United invested. 
um, 100 million euros in Anthony. I mean, they overspend by a ridiculous amount. And I think if he was, uh, if, if he was at Wigan and, and available for that game, I don't think he'd have started. I think he'd have been on the bench. And even the circumstances around his substitution at Forest seemed a bit bizarre because he, he came off early in the second half and he had to come off because he was dreadful. I'd have taken him off at half time. And then I think it was during the broadcast of it, they, they said that he had a hamstring problem, but then he was in training days later. Um, so, you know, I think a few fans might have wondered, did he, did he cry off there? Uh, but I, I certainly don't think he's up to it at United. No. And I, 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 I really didn't think that United should have signed him either. Not, not because I'd seen him play at all or anything like that. And if I've not seen him play, um, I, I had to reserve judgment and I did. I never wrote a piece saying United should never have signed him. But Roy Keane told that anecdote that time, didn't he, where he was considering signing Robbie Savage and he called him up and uh, he got this voicemail going, hey, it's Robbie Wassa, like off the old Budweiser advert. And he said, no, I'm not signing that. And I think when I kind of just saw clips of Anthony, I thought, no, I wouldn't be signing that. And of course, not only did United sign that, they invested 100 million euros in that. I mean, United fans must be scratching their heads watching Mohamed Kudos play for West Ham, who played under Tanaga Ajax, who was also very quite bright and had a fairly good future ahead of him um, when you watched him at Ajax and he's went to London and kicked on and looked much better than Anthony already um, he scored obviously against United didn't he uh, at the London Stadium recently yeah uh, did he yeah he did yeah he took his goal took his goal very well and of course look performing at West Ham is easier than performing for Man United nobody's disputing that but I would I would imagine that had Kudus gone to United he'd have done a hell of a lot more than Anthony has done um, what Eight, 18 months into his, uh, into it's, his it's career. It's the fact the that he's so one-dimensional, one isn't it? I know yes. we kind of made comparisons half-jokingly to, to Iron Robin and how fantastic he was cutting in the left, but he, he can't seem to beat a full-back, take it on down the outside and cross. He just wants to cut in every time and it, it didn't take long for defenders to suss it out. He is fine. When he, when he executes it, it's brilliant and it works. But when did that last happen? And yeah. that's the most frustrating. Exactly, yeah, it's the most frustrating aspect. Uh, we'll leave it there for part two. We'll be back in a moment for part three. We're launching a brand new bite-sized midweek audio-only podcast, bringing you the latest happenings from Old Trafford in a much more informal format, covering topical news, online gossip, transfers, and personal tales as a roundup of everything you might have missed surrounding Manchester United. Join host Tyrone Marshall and myself, Rich Fay, as we go inside the club, separating the fact from the fiction and giving you an edge on your mates down the pub. Welcome back to part three of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, as we've said earlier in the show, United are in action on Sunday afternoon against Tottenham Hotspur. Now, Samuel, we mentioned it uh, in the earlier podcast this week that United are eight points behind Spurs already, which is quite frightening, actually, after 20 games played. So already this game feels like a, an important game for top four. It certainly is. And they, they need it's a must win game. But as I said before, I... United have to view every game as a, as a must win. That That's the mentality that's required at the club. But in particular, because this is the only game in the Premier League this month, this is the month defining game. United's month isn't going to be defined by Wigan in the third round or um, Eastleigh or Newport County in the, in the fourth round, unless they somehow lose to 
uh, that that the, the, a League Two or a non-League side. I think they've. I think it's safe to say that they're as good as in the fifth round already. But they need a fillet going into February. They've got, as I said, Villa, on on Monday they've got West Ham at home. They've got Villa away. I think at the start of the month. And sorry, they've they've got Wolves away on the first of February, and then it's in terms of the weekend games. I think it's West Ham at home, and then Villa away. Those two teams are above them in the table. It is a really crucial month where they've got to be getting between twelve to fifteen points from those five games. They they really can't afford to come in any lower than that. Um, yeah, it's they're going to have to change. They're they're going to have to change really, just just to put it bluntly, because they've not been consistent with their form whatsoever. In the Premier League this season, they've won three of their last eight in the Premier League. I think it is, and of course that they, they, you know, in in November uh, they had the Player and the Manager of the Month uh, winners. Albeit they they only had three games in that month, um, but they still won all those those games. And if if they were to, you know, if if they can go on a run now of of six wins going into March, then of course that's going to fuel belief that they can get into the top four it's going to be a tall order but they have got players coming back for this game this weekend those players you would imagine will be in in fine fettle to start against Wolves at the start of next month it's a very difficult month as well Wolves have um, they were unlucky to lose to Liverpool at home they beat Tottenham uh, at home I feel like they've had a couple of other um, impressive results this season under Gary O'Neill because he's, he's done a pretty good job given the only parachute is in there just just before the season started, so I'm, I'm doing him a bit of a disservice. Um, okay, they've got Luton away. Luton don't really get thrashed. They've they're quite an obdurate side. Uh, they've had some very hard fought uh, games at home this season, drawn with Liverpool, losing narrowly to City, losing to Arsenal added time. So they're going to be a tough nut to crack. I think they've they've won won against Newcastle at home as well. So that's pretty good going. Just going off those games. I think Tottenham only won 1-0 there as well. That's going to be tough. Fulham at the end of the month, it, that, that's that's probably the it's possibly the easiest of the games. Um, but I, I digress slightly. In terms of this weekend's game, they've got a lot stacked in their favour. They're at home. Stuart Ratcliffe is going to be there as, as a row um, around, uh, I think it was on Boxing Day. Um, that that yeah, it feels like things are changing, even though Ineos are still waiting for regulatory approval. But the real change has got to be on the pitch. If you've got more players involved in the squad that are familiar to you, I mean, the bench the other night was so callow, and it's it consisted of names who may never ever be on a Man United bench ever again. But if you've got more regular names, that's going to be a boost. And also, look at the depleted nature of Tottenham's squad. Um, no Papesar, no Eve Basuma. Uh, because they're on AFCON duty. No Son Hun Min, because he's at the Asia Cup. They've got injury issues to contend with. It looks like the new central defensive signing could go straight into the team even, uh, just because of the centre-backs they've had to play there in recent weeks, where they've been playing they've been playing two full-backs at centre-back, I think, in, in Emerson Royale and and Ben Davis. So Tottenham are, Tottenham are gettable. As, as much as they've improved under Ange Postecoglou, you just look at that squad and they're gettable. They play a high line. Do you uh, not think 
Yeah, do you not think they're almost the, the perfect opposition for United because of the high line? Um, United tend to struggle against teams who play a low block, they can't really break them down. We see that game over and over again at Old Trafford a lot of the time. Um, but on, we're going to come to Old Trafford, they're going to push up high with that high line because there's bound to be space in behind. Rashford, Ganacho use the pace, counter-attack, because Tottenham are probably going to have more of the ball. And I, I quite fancy United to get something this weekend, the more I think about it. I, I do as well. I think it'll be a very competitive game. I'm not necessarily saying that United are going to win by more than one goal, because they, they struggle to do that anyway. But you would definitely have United down as favourites for for this game, because of the home advantage and because of the um, the, the more depleted nature of, of Tottenham's squad than, than United's squad. And look, with, with Basuma and Saar being out, that alone, you've got to go with Maynou and Eriksen. You can't go with McTominay and, um, and, and Maynou. I think there would have been a, a case for McTominay to come in just because he's a robust physical presence in midfield to come up against Saar and, and Basuma, who, who played very well against United back in, the, um, in August when, when Spurs won 2-0. United that day in the first 30, 35 minutes were very good. They... Should have had a penalty. Uh, Fernandez missed an absolute sitter. And even when they went 1-0 down, Anthony had a very good chance and um, he, sh- he should have scored, but he hit the post. The, the second half was a really poor performance, but the first half was actually pretty good from United. And OK, Tottenham were starting to find their feet under Ange Postacoglu. And I think he's done a he's done an excellent job there so far. He's made them a much more competitive team. Um, it's a much more harmonious place. Uh, Spurs fans are a bit different than United's and that where things are going well again, they've stopped chanting Levy out. You saw last season when United, when it was going well with United, you were still hearing, you know, we want Glazers out on a weekly basis. It's not the case at Tottenham. But what I would say about Spurs is that I can't think of a team in my lifetime who couldn't have, have won so little but get so much praise. And I thought I was I was, hearing... about, I was about to say that because Posta Coglu's became a media darling all of a sudden. Yeah, I was about to use that talks, phrase. Australian yeah. charm. Yeah, he's, he is likable, to be fair to him. His press conferences must must be pretty good fun to cover. Um, is it naivety or is it to be admired that he sticks by his style of play so much and my mind gets taken back to the game against Chelsea when Tottenham had two men sent off and it was it was, it was was suicidal that Tottenham playing such a high line in that game It was and I thought I was hearing things on the commentary because it was almost as if oh look how laudable this is that they're high line they're sticking to their principles there was nothing laudable about it they got wiped 4-1 they conceded three goals to Nicholas Jackson who I mean, as he showed that night, he did struggle to score a tap-in. Uh, they had to pretty much put it on the plate for him to score. And every time he got in front of goal, you, you doubted if he was going to score. It's, it's one that, it was one of the worst hat-tricks you could uh, you could ever see. But he did still score a hat-trick against Tottenham. And that was, you know, that, that was on Spurs for um, this preposterous high line. Because even when they went down to nine men, given how dysfunctional Chelsea are and how profligate they, they can be in front of goal... I think if Tottenham had played their cards right and managed that game better, they could easily have got a point from it. And I think they had a goal disallowed, didn't they, after uh, Chelsea made it 2-1. It was Aaron Dyer at the far post, wasn't it, from a a free kick? So even after they did go 2-1 down, they they were probably a few millimetres away from from having an equaliser. I think if they... That being said, Samuel, that being said, it is very impressive, obviously, how his style of play 
I mean, he's only been there seven months or so, or eight months. It's so recognisable. You can clearly tell what he's trying to do and he is sticking by it. So then if we flip that around then and we look at Ten Hag and there have been accusations, of course, a lack of style of play. What does he actually want to do? 80 months on, of course, he's had a ton of injuries this season to contend with. Um, but when you look at what Postecoglou's done in such a, a short space of time, there have been people looking around and, and turning around to Ten Hag and saying, well, why can't you know, he be doing something similar in after the 80 months. Yeah, it was a completely legitimate question as well. As you say, that Tottenham team, it's already got Postacoglu's fingerprints all over it. And I imagine there would have been some Spurs fans who were underwhelmed by uh, their their choice in appointing him and taking a manager from from Celtic. But speaking to you know some contacts, I heard, I was hearing very good, very effusive things about Postacoglu last season while he was at Celtic. And he's he's put his imprint on that team very, very quickly. I think Spurs' recruitment has been really good. Vicario has been a very impressive piece of business. He's been one of the best keepers in the league this season. Uh, is it Udogi, the, the, the left-back? I know he was signed before Postacoglu came in, but he's been one of the best left-backs this season. As I've said, up until he got injured, James Madison was the best player in the Premier League this season. Uh, they've They've clearly missed him and he's a player who I thought really United should have been bringing in. I, I I think he would have been one of those signings who had the the personality and the character to um, handle the pressure of, of playing for, for Man United, certainly more than Jane Sancho and also more than, I suppose, more relevantly given the time that he, he joined United, Mason Mount. Um, but Talking more, um, you know, talking about the current situation, I do think the the team that United put out on on Sunday will probably be stronger than than Tottenham's uh, team just by virtue of the depleted nature of their squad. You know, they've they've brought Timo Werner in as well, and had United done that, the perception of that deal would have been a hell of a lot more negative than than Tottenham doing it. And fair enough, like Tottenham's recruitment, as I said, it, it has been it has been quite quite good so far under Postecoglou, but. Going back to the back to the whole media darlings thing, you know, it doesn't take a lot for Tottenham to be, um, you know, the apple in the eye of of, of of some personnel in the media. It was the case when Harry Redknapp was the manager there. It was the case when Mauricio Pochettino was there as well. Uh, when they had obviously some some high moments, but they didn't win anything under Pochettino. They didn't win anything under Redknapp. All they've won in the last thirty years have been two League Cups under. Two of their more unpopular managers, George Graham, an Arsenal man, and of course Juan de Ramos, who, who didn't even last a year there. Lads, it's Spurs. Yes. Um, but before we go, Samuel, can we have a Pasta Coglu impression then? Now we've just talked about. Uh, oh, mate, you know, obviously, and... yeah, I'm, I'm Australian and I've, I've got a real good bit of charm <laughs> that's, about that's, me. That's and terrible. That's not, that's that's not terrible. No. I'm not going to do an impression of you because that, that, that would. Um, that, 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 oh, yeah. That, that would just sound yeah, right. You, 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 you insist you don't sound anything like Michael from I'm Alan Partridge, but I think everybody would uh, would be of the of the opposing opinion on that one. Well, if you agree or disagree with Samuel, and he, I'd love to hear the thoughts on his Postecoglou impression because I didn't think it was very good. We're, we're going to uh, get one. We're, we're going to get one video. star ratings now, aren't we? I think after that, unfortunately, <laughs> with your yeah, accent impressions. Um, but yeah, leave a review, five stars or one star, uh, depending on how good you thought uh, Samuel's impressions were. Because to be fair, when his Van Gaal one was exceptional. Um, but thank you very much for your time, Samuel. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you very much. And thanks for listening as usual. Check out our social channels. Uh, TikTok, uh, we're, we're now on. I don't actually have it. Uh, shout out. We've 
You haven't mentioned the vine earlier in the podcast, which was almost the, the <laughs> we're first. Definitely first that, that, yeah, we're definitely not on that. Yeah, we're definitely not on that. No, no, not anymore. Um, but yeah, okay, we're, we're on TikTok as well. Uh, have a great week weekend, and we'll be back on Monday. Thank you.